Hey there, everyone. You're listening to the Wrestling With Film Podcast. I'm your host, Bentley. And I'm your guest, Hannah Fearman. And on today's episode, we're going to be jumping straight to our movie discussion. Will is currently still recovering from his incredibly wild and crazy weekend at the Collective up in Indianapolis. So he will be covering that next week with us. For this episode, we're going to be discussing VHS and Siren. Plus, we have our very special guest, Hannah Fierman, who is Lily in VHS and Siren. We'll ask her a couple questions about the production process and uh, what she has coming up in the future. So stay tuned. Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking with us after that break. As I mentioned earlier, Will won't be here for this episode. He had an insane weekend. We were talking throughout most of it, and some of the things that he saw, some of the things he witnessed are absolutely insane. So I am looking forward to talking with him and hearing the stories uh, just as much as you all are. Uh, As such, since Will's not here and he is our wrestling encyclopedia, the expert when it comes to the world of wrestling, we will not be able to cover what all happened in the world of wrestling, which is really going to revolve around the collective. So we wish him a speedy recovery from a wild and crazy weekend. Hope he gets all the rest that he needs uh, to be able to function with the living again. Uh, But otherwise, we're just going to jump right into our movie discussion. So the first movie we're going to talk about today is VHS. Now, VHS is a little bit older of a horror film. It came out in the early uh, 20-teens. And I am a sucker for found footage horror film. I know we've talked a little bit about this before. I really, really like it. I don't know why. I really, really can't explain what the hook for me is. Maybe it's because The Blair Witch Project was the first horror film to have ever scared me deeply on a personal level. And I know part of that has to do with, you know, the marketing behind it where it was portrayed as being a real event a real scenario that happened that these people are really missing you know i know the sci-fi channel did a whole little special documentary or special about the Blair Witch Project furthering that narrative. And the other part of it is probably that I have always lived near the woods. You know, my childhood home was right across the street for some woods. I would go up there and play in them all the time. I would go hiking a whole bunch. When I was older, when I was in middle school and high school, the house that we had was right up next to the woods. And again, I would play in them all day. I'd be wandering through them. So the Blair Witch Project felt scarier to me. Like, what if there was this spooky house up there or this legend inside the woods and they came and got me? So I think part of it was that. The other part of it, I believe, is that I know found footage ended up getting played out uh, pretty heavily because so many people were trying to copy the success of Paranormal Activity and the Blair Witch Project over the years, largely with diminishing returns. But I really liked it. I've always enjoyed it. And I think I liked it because it felt more real. And I know that's the whole gimmick. That's the whole purpose behind them. And I just, I fell for it. Hook lines. And I also really enjoy anthology. Film. I think that there are some really, really good anthology films and series. I really like the idea of different stories somehow being part of the same narrative. The Twilight Zone movie was one of the first horror movies that I ever saw. And I know not every segment in it is scary, but it definitely uh, opens and closes with a, a fairly scary segment of Dan Aykroyd's character asking uh, if you want to see scary and there's a couple of, uh, of the scenes inside of it that are kind of scary as well and so i've always had quite an affinity for anthology films and vhs combines those two loves of mine found footage and anthology additionally a lot of the directors involved with vhs have become uh, a veritable who's who in the modern horror world you have adam wingard you have ty west david bruckner joe swanberg Just the list goes on with all the amazing talent that helped bring this project to life. And they've gone on to such amazing things. Uh, Since uh, Adam Wingard is actually the director behind the 
Godzilla versus King Kong film, which hopefully will come out at some point. Hopefully we'll get a trailer for it. Um, but COVID has obviously put a lot of those plans on the back burner for right now. I, I did see toys for Godzilla versus King Kong at Walmart. So I have an idea of what's going to happen. So it looks great from the toys. But other than that, we're just kind of waiting for it. VHS was brilliant for me. The frame story was all right. You know, some punk kids breaking into a house for a mysterious tape. They've been paid to get this tape. They break inside this house and there is a dead body in one of the rooms in front of a TV with a whole bunch of tapes. And the guys start going through the house trying to find the right tape. And they're all pretty much unlabeled. So they start trying to watch the tapes and find out what's going on. Like if they can find the tape they're looking for. And each one of the tapes contains a horrific moment, a horrific scene. And that's basically the frame. That's how it works. You know, you jump into each movie and you get them again with varying degrees of success. I think VHS one and VHS two pretty much across the board uh, hit it out of the park. Um, I think even the worst segment in the first VHS is still pretty good. You know, there, there's not really uh, a weak link per se in it. The first segment that we have is Amateur Night, which is the one that actually stars our guest, Hannah Fearman. It is about some guys going out to party. They are a bit obnoxious. <laughs> Um, to say the least. And I think that that is what helped it. (laughs) Uh, One of the great things about VHS is that pretty much through all the segments, most people are not likable. You you don't really care for anybody. And I think that is one of the great things about it. Because for me, a horror movie really lands when everybody dies. And if you make everybody unlikable, it's easier for them to get killed. And there's not really a a monster per se. You know, there's always an event going on in each one where it is still really good. But you're never like really cheering for the monster per se. So Amateur Night has these obnoxious guys going out. They come across a uh, very attractive woman who we find out later is named Lily. They bring her back along with some other girls that they met. They do some code. They do some, uh, well, not do some, they drink, <laughs> they drink some booze and they go back to the you know, hotel room to party. The entire time, one of the guys has a hidden camera inside of these glasses that he's wearing to kind of document the night. And I believe there are plans to record a couple of sex tapes with it is the general idea. So very creepy, very leery behavior. Well, they get back to the apartment. One of the girls passes out. Another one of the girls leaves. And the only one that is still awake is Lily, who has taken an affinity to our main guy who is recording everything. The guys then decide, well, let's let's have some fun with her. And so they end up stripping her. And she appears to be a willing participant uh, in the start of this. And she tries to get the other camera involved. He gets weirded out. He goes to the bathroom, tries to hype himself up. During this time, Lily has bitten one of the guys who she didn't want involved at all, who was drunk and obnoxious. And then things just take a turn for the worst from there. And all of the guy's friends end up getting brutally murdered and eviscerated. He's trying to figure out how he needs to get out of here, how he can escape. And ultimately what ends up happening is even though he thinks he's made his escape after being bruised and battered and watching his friends get murdered, he's running away from Lily. And all of a sudden she shows up as this demon succubus grabs him whips him out into the moonlight and calls it a day. And that's the end of the first segment. The other segments I think are really, really solid. Amateur Night was the one that hooked me. I I knew I was going to love it. They did a great job starting off strong. We have a couple of other segments. Uh, I'm probably going to have them out of order because I have horrible memory. But we have the uh, second honeymoon segment, which to me, I feel is the weakest of the segments. I I like the concept behind it, which is this kind of unhappy couple, I would say. You never really know what's going on. It feels like they're trying to recover from some sort of issue they had in their relationship. Or at times, I know the first time I saw it, I thought maybe they're just getting to know each other. This is their first big trip together. And then there's this creepy lady 
that keeps on harassing them. And the footage cuts back and forth between their trip as they're having fun and then their hotel room where they're being uh, haunted by this woman. And it ends up turning out that the woman is in cahoots with the presumed wife in the segment and they murder what you think is the husband or boyfriend, and they both flee. Um, Again, I think it had a good concept. I think it had a good idea. Uh, It it wasn't as well executed as the other ones, and I think at a certain point, I kind of felt like I was like, "Mm, they're they're together. Like That's why she's so distant on it. Then we have the sick thing that happened to Emily when she was younger. I think think that's the name of it. Uh, Again, a lot of these names you don't actually get in the movie. There's not like a a title card for any of them. Uh, You have to look them up, which is what I have done over the years. Uh, That one is really, really interesting in in a lot of ways. I actually had the, the fortunate pleasure of interviewing the star of that segment. And it's really, really interesting. It's all told from the perspective of basically like a Zoom call or, you know, FaceTime call on the computer. And Emily starts feeling more and more disturbed, more and more comfortable. At one point, her boyfriend, who is video calling her uh, from um, the other side of the country, gets really, really worried about it. She starts digging into her arm, like with a fork, and you actually see like a giant hole inside of it. At the same time, she starts seeing these ghostly apparitions appearing throughout the house and terrifying her. And then finally, she goes out to try and see what's going on, and she just gets overwhelmed and passes out. At that point, you see her passed out, and there are these two creepy, ghostly children standing over her. You then see the door to her apartment open up, and it's the boyfriend that you thought was really far away. And he starts communicating with them as if there's some sort of deal that he's made with them. And then that she's gonna, you know, why'd you do this? We gotta take care of her, blah, blah, blah. They bandaged, he gets bandaged, her bandaged up and they talk the next day. He wants her to get some rest. And then it opens up with him talking to another girl, having the same conversation he did with her at the beginning, uh, implying that this is a much bigger scenario than you think. Possibly harvesting organs or even that it is some sort of abduction type scenario. Again, I like that one a lot. I thought it was really good. I think it built really well. Then we have Tuesday the 17th, which I love. I love this one. Maybe it's the really strong uh, Blair Witch Project vibes that I got, but a group of kids go up to the woods. I believe there's probably a cabin involved, as there always is, but one of the people starts telling the story about the creepy murders that happened up here and how terrifying it was for everybody. During this, you start seeing the people get murdered. The really cool thing about this, and I think this one, in addition to Amateur Night, which did become the film Siren, that Tuesday the 17th has a really good potential to be a great horror film. And it really leans into the found footage genre. And I think that it really helped it stand out and make more sense of its existence. The only way to see the killer is that it shows up as a like distorted, staticky blob on the camera. That's the only way you can see it. Everyone else is getting murdered by it. They don't see it, but if you have the camera, you can. Uh, it's very Friday the 13th, uh, very traditional cabin in the woods kind of horror film tropes, but it's really, really well done. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it turns out that the main girl knew about this. All of her friends are the ones that died previously. And so she brought these other people up as bait to try and catch them. Uh worked really, really well. It turns out that there's two of these beings in the woods, uh, which ultimately get the upper hand. Brilliant. Really well done. I think that it could probably lend itself to the very least uh, a longer short film, maybe even a full film. Uh, really well done. I thought it was a lot of fun. And then we have probably either my favorite or my second favorite uh, segment, and that's 103198. This one was so well done because it felt real. And I had seen stuff that might have been some test for the ending of this, or maybe the footage that I saw ended up becoming um, these guys' demo reel to get them to this point. But you've probably seen it. There's this footage of someone inside their house and hands start coming out of the walls uh, and start trying to grab them. It might have been legs at some point in the test footage. It went around for a while, like in the late 2010s, uh, early 2010s, late 2000s and early 2010s. Um, really creepy stuff. 
really exciting. It looked wonderful. It looked really, really good. So 1031-98 is these guys. They're going to a, a Halloween party, uh, all dressed up. One of the guy's characters or costumes is a nanny cam, which is why this one's being filmed. And then they get to the party. There's no one there. They start walking around the house. Nothing's going on. They hear nothing. There's no music. There's no people. And then spooky things start happening. You start seeing little glimpses of it. Things will start moving. Things will start changing. They go upstairs and they start, you know, creeping around stuff. They think they hear something. They think they see something. And then all of a sudden they do hear something and it's coming from upstairs. And so they find the pathway to the attic and they're up there and there's these people chanting and a woman tied up. Guy pulls a knife out and is getting ready to uh, appear stab the woman. Our characters believe that it it is a uh, party of some nature, that it's some fun event. So they start chanting along with them as they're about to stab the girl. They see them. They're like, what are you guys doing here? You need to get out of here. You need to not deal with this. They chase the guys out. They realize like, nah, like we can't, we can't leave this woman behind. This is also probably the only segment where anybody's likable, uh, which perhaps makes the, the deaths a little bit sadder by the end. It's still fascinating, but they decide to go back and save the woman. So they fight off the guys. They cut her down. They bring her on out. The world goes crazy. There's chairs being flung around, doorknobs are disappearing. They can't get out the front door. You know, the windows are are sealing up, you know, like the house is trying to keep them trapped in there or something else. Things are snatching people up into the ceiling. They're just disappearing into the ceiling, like some very Lovecraftian monsters behind us. They get down to the basement to try and escape and hands and arms start coming out of the wall trying to grab them and they finally break out of the basement and when they do they get to their car they start driving off the woman has been stabbed at you know during the event and they're trying to get her to the hospital as they're driving around you know they're very worried that the people are going to follow her you know they're trying to talk to her like hey you're gonna be okay we're gonna get you some help you'll be all right and at one point they their car dies and it's like right on some train track and then you hear the train coming and they start trying to start it start it start it start it start it start it nothing 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 and then they look and they realize that the girl's gone and they look up and she's in front of them and they can't get out of the car and then the last thing that you get is is them being hit by the train. Now, in between all these segments, you have the frame story going on that we talked about at the beginning where the guys have broken into the house and they are trying to uncover the lost tape. During this segment, what you thought was the dead body actually turns out to still be very much alive and starts picking the guys off one by one. basically adding a new tape to the entire scenario. Um, the frame store is probably the weakest part of it. I think it did a good job, though. Uh, at a certain point, you kind of expect the body that's sitting right behind the guy to do something. You know, it disappears, I think, fairly early on. And you're like, oh, okay, I see what's going on. I know it's going to happen. Um, again, it's, for some people, probably not a revolutionary film uh, or a Game Genie film. For me, it was right up my head. VHS 1 was absolutely amazing. VHS 2, I think, even ratcheted up a good bit. They had some well-named directors be involved with it. Um, Gareth Evans, who did The Raid. You had a couple of guys from the first one come back, Adam Wingard, Simon Barrett. You also had the original directors of The Blair Witch Project also contribute a segment. Uh, The tone is a bit different on this one. There are definitely a good bit of supernatural elements to it. Uh, It feels a little bit more grounded, and there's a little bit more variety and the horrors being seen. I really like the idea that there's this whole world out there consisting of these secret tapes that are filled with horrific events, things that only exist in horror films. I like the idea that those are are out there, that there are zombies, that there are succubuses, that there are ghosts and demons and serial killers. Like I, I like the idea that there's this whole horror movie world existing just underneath our world or or even parallel to it. I think it's really interesting from a story building point of view. But they're great films. I don't know where they're streaming right now. They used to be on Amazon for or Netflix for a number of years. You can definitely rent them on Amazon as well. I personally recommend buying them. The Blu-rays are filled with wonderful special features. They often have deleted scenes or they help show some of the production process. 
uh, a lot of fun, really well done. So I strongly recommend VHS. And with that, we're going to go ahead. We're going to take a quick little break. We're going to jump into our interview with Hannah Fierman. And then after that, we'll jump into our discussion for Siren. Stay tuned. Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking with us. So now is time for the part of the episode that I think we're going to be the most excited about. We have with us here Hannah Fearman. You may know her as Lilith, the flying evil succubus from VHS, and also Lilith from Siren, which they built an entire movie off of her character from VHS. She has done a number of things. We're also going to talk about some of her upcoming films, such as On Location and Time's Up. So we're very excited to have you here today, Hannah. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this. Absolutely. We know, we've been planning this episode out for a while. We knew in October we're going to lean into the spooky. And I think as when we were preparing for this, I told you VHS is easily one of my favorite horror films. Oh, really? I'm yeah. flattered. It is. I'm I'm a sucker for found footage movies, and I also love anthology movies. So it's just boom, boom. It's it's a twofer right there for me. <laughs> so I really like that. Um, so we'll just go ahead. We'll just jump into the interview now. As I mentioned, VHS is one of my favorite horror films. I think pretty much every single segment of it is just really just clicks for me, and especially also VHS two was also wonderful. So those two movies are great. Now it seemed like it would be an especially difficult project to work on. Like I know the found footage genre tends to be kind of in first person point of view, but your segment in VHS was literally attached to the guy's head with the hidden camera. How did that shape the production process and your performance? Um, okay, thank you for asking that. It's a good question. So um, I'm not sure if you actually ever saw pictures of the rig that we put on Drew Sawyer's head. He was the actor that played the, um, I guess. Guy you liked. <laughs> the guy, protagonist, whatever. Um, the point of view, the, the gaze. Um, so he had a helmet, a football helmet on, and they covered it with like this hair-like fuzz like fur so that the silhouette um not silhouette but the shadow would look like human hair ish and then um they put the camera right in front of his eyes and they didn't have any way to connect that camera to the monitor where david and victoria david bruckner and victoria warren were hiding because with, with the found f- footage it's 360 so you get the director and the uh, dp have to hide and um so on top of the camera just above it they put they glued an iPhone so they could use that as the monitor and um, and pipe it to the bathroom. Yeah, I couldn't see Drew's eyes and I don't know how Drew hit his marks because he couldn't see either because there was this camera right in front of his eye line and um, but he did it. He, he did it really well with like almost no retake, total professional. I don't know how he did it. And and at one point I think there was even a, I remember there being like, do you, do you remember like those, those Zoom mics that, that like attached to things um sort of look like squids yeah they had one of those just stuck right on top as well it looked completely ridiculous but it really worked and yeah so that was a challenge that really was and it was really heavy on his neck too so whenever like I, I was like leaning over him at the bottom of the stairwell I remember like having to support his neck um during that time awesome and how did it affect your performance as well because oftentimes whenever you are on set you are reacting to the other person in the scene you don't very rarely do you ever directly address the camera but for this film you're directing the camera you're addressing the camera and the actor at the same time was it difficult to feed off that energy or with the nature of your segment did it kind of just you just got in that headspace and you just ran with it um you know it was a really long time ago so um i don't really remember um i think i just used my imagination and pretended like i could see his face yeah yeah, I don't really remember, but I, I do remember thinking it was weird, breaking the fourth wall like that. And I think that um, fans responded to it really, really positively. And I think it had something to do with the breaking of the fourth wall because I got I got a lot more fan mail than I ever would have anticipated getting from such a short segment right. and um, such a, you know, l- ultra low budget indie. And um, But people like w- would send me these long, very heartfelt very personal emails um, telling me about their their lives and their struggles and stuff. And it 
it, it was almost like they thought I knew them. And I found that really fascinating. And, and I really appreciate, you know, how positive the feedback was because it could have gone either way, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of an interesting point for us to, to move to the next thing. Lilith is a very unusual movie monster. And at least for me, when I was watching her, I felt very sympathetic to her the entire time. There was very much like the doe in the headlights kind of look. And especially with VHS, I don't think that she ever acted wrong. You know, it wasn't just a merciless killing machine. Like to me, there's like, okay, clearly there's a reason that you're doing this. Like, you know, these other guys are being creepy. They're crossing the line. You know, it's, you know, it's making her uncomfortable. So she's going to, you know, rip their genitals off and dismember them. Like, it seems, it seems like an appropriate response. And then especially with Siren as well, it, I think, doubled down on the sympathy that you have for Lilith because now she's no longer this free creature out there potentially, you know, causing terror for people, but, you know, she's been held captive against her will. Was that always the intention for Lilith, for her to be sympathetic? Or did you help shape that? I don't want to toot my own horn, but I definitely shaped that. I, I, I wanted her to be as sympathetic as possible because otherwise it wouldn't be an interesting story. Right. Um, or as interesting of a story or as unusual. I wanted her to be a completely misunderstood monster. And, you know, the guys really helped with that too, because they were so, especially in VHS, they were, they were so atrociously annoying um, <laughs> that you just, you, you really hated them and you, you were supposed to. And um, they really, they really did such a good job. I remember Joe Sight, you know, he's got that crazy laugh. He's the blonde one that I throw up on. He hated doing that laugh over and over and over and over again. <laughs> David kept getting him to do it over and over again. And he, at the end of the shoot, he's like, I'm never going to laugh again. I just, I can't, I don't have it in me. Cause he was starting to hate himself. Yeah. <laughs> How annoying it was. I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, these, these are my friends. So, um, especially, uh, Mike Donlin, a very old friend of mine. And, um, I don't even think he'd acted all that much, um, up until that, but I knew he could do it. And, um, and he'd be great to work with on set because I'd worked with him on set before. Yeah. And uh, so I, we were all just super comfortable with one another. We could be as obnoxious as, <laughs> as we wanted. And, it, you know, it was cool. It was fun. That's nice. That's good to hear. Because like, as you said, I think the the sympathetic nature of your character really helped. Perhaps that, meant, that may be some of the reasons that you got as much fan mail as you did was that people saw a little bit of themselves, like a, not in a literal way, but a metaphorical, you know, misunderstood monster and whatever society of all the issues they're having. Maybe that's part of it. And with you addressing them directly, maybe that's why they were able to have that connection with you. I agree with that. I feel like, um, like Dolores Umbridge, there's a reason why everybody hates her more than Voldemort. <laughs> you know? Because it's because, you know, she's, she's willfully misunderstanding people. And I don't, I don't know anybody who in their youth did not meet some sort of authoritative uh, figure that, that would do just that. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's the identifying, just like, I've I've been there, man. (laughs) Now, Siren was really interesting because we really dove deeper into Lilith's story. I think, as I mentioned earlier, making her even more sympathetic than she already was in VHS. When did the idea for a spinoff come about? Was it during the production of VHS? Did it happen a bit later? Whose idea was it to to fully dive into that segment and to that character? I think that we were even talking about it um, while we were the work. Um, we didn't know how big it was going to blow up, but we all we all liked the idea. And um, yeah, so I remember the first time it sort of started to materialize. And from my perspective, was at the premiere in LA. Um, ben, one of the writers, introduced himself, and he's like, "I'm sorry, I've been staring at you. I hope it's not creepy, but I've just been watching your face over and over and over again on read for the past like however long." And I'm like, "Really? Why would you do that?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, you didn't know I'm writing the feature. And I was like, well, cast me in it, you know? <laughs> and he's like, I have no power over that, but I, I, I sure hope you do, you know? And it was like, really? He was, and I, and I, um, I think that him and Luke did a fantastic job on it. And I think there's still more of a story that could be told, like um, where she comes from and if there's more of them and, and that sort of thing. Not necessarily my character, because I don't necessarily really want to revisit it, but maybe another character that's somewhat similar. 
Right. That's a, that's a great point. And I know for me, when I saw, I, I didn't even know Siren was out for a little, I didn't know anything about it. My best friend said like, dude, you need to see Siren. I was like, mm, I, don't, I don't know. He's like, it's a horror movie on Netflix. I'm like, I, I don't know. He's like, it's the lady from VHS. It's her segment. I was like, okay. And I watched it that evening. Like that's <laughs> like when I knew it was your segment, I was like, okay, I, I'm, I will watch this one. And, but I think you're right. I think that especially with Siren, like there's a lot there's a lot of world building that went on, you know, the creepy bordello nightmare house bar club thing. Like that's an interesting thing, uh, you know, from a story t- storytelling point of view. And I was more curious about that as well. And of course, seeing seeing your character get revenge was also wonderful, uh, which which is great. And I think you're right. I think that maybe there is more of a of a universe there. So I think that'll be a lot of fun to see if they. If they take your advice and work on it. <laughs> I hope they do. Now, you've also, since then, you've moved on from acting. Uh, you've produced, wrote, and directed now. You did the Hell Evangelist segment in Dead by Midnight. What was it like transitioning from in front of the camera to behind the camera? And which of these roles is the most exciting for you now? Like, do you still have the same passion for acting or is writing and directing where you think your future is? It's the se- the second anthology. And um, so neither of them have come out yet, but they will soon, I hope. Um, but uh, yeah, I did segments of the second anthology and it, it's, it's the segment is entitled Hell Evangelist. And um, I, I wrote it, I came up with a story and my husband and I wrote it and I directed directed it. And I had produced prior prior to that um, many times, but this is my first time writing direct. I absolutely hope that I do more writing and directing. Um, I had an absolute blast. It was an altogether different kind of stress. And I, uh, but I also, I still love Actu. It's just, it's just different. I found directing perhaps to be more satisfying, just probably because I've only ever done it once. Right. I've done a lot of act. Yeah, it was great. I, I was so impressed with everybody that I worked with. My actors were so cool and they were so surprising in, in all the best ways. Like I knew that they were going to be amazing, but then they just bust out with like an extra layer of creepy or, or sinister. And that um, was a magical experience. So I, yeah, I sincerely hope I do. I, I hope I do both, but I, it would be great to do more directing. And I think it's great. I always love it when actors start directing. I think as I mentioned before we were recording, I, my degree is in film and television production. And one of the things that I did was that I took acting classes as well, because I feel like if I'm going to tell people how to act, I need to understand the language. You know, I need to understand the beat breakdowns. I need to understand the different philosophies behind it. So I imagine when actors get a director like you, who is an experienced actor, who has had tons of roles, that it really helps them understand what their character needs to do better and you can probably grab a better performance out of them than someone who doesn't have that same background i also just hired great actors too so (laughs) i've worked with um already so you know um except for i think no i hadn't worked with one of the one of the act before but i'd seen his work and i knew he could do it really wonderful actually the other way around uh stuff that the director said to me a lot started making more sense yeah like I just said, like, okay, so I always found it when I was an act, when, when I'm acting, when a director comes up to me and is like, I didn't know you could do that. And I'm like, why did you hire me then? You know, why am I here? And yeah, like, I didn't say it like that, but I just remember thinking, I didn't know she had, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, I mean, I knew she, I knew she'd be amazing, but I didn't know how amazing. Yeah. Exactly. That's awesome. Now, you have two new projects that are on the way, uh, On Location and Time's Up. What can you tell us about these projects? Okay, yeah. Well, I just got through shooting On Location in um, in Indiana, Ohio, and uh, Kentucky. It's a horror movie that horror movie buffs are going to like. It's a horror movie within horror movie kind of thing, a little bit meta. Uh, it's, it's more of a thriller slasher, and um, I had so much fun on this location. Um, it was it was magical. It was very, very safe. I felt like in this like really safe bubble of a holiday, we were all, you know, quarantined together, but it didn't matter because there were so many of us and we were having so much fun, you know, making art, rehearsing and coming up with new ideas. And the director, uh, Jeff Seaman, was like really, really open to any ideas we had. And um, that made it extra fun. And I think that that it's probably going to be done by, you know, the end of the year but you can never be sure. It's been a crazy and, year for film. <laughs> yeah. And nobody got COVID, not in the entire cast and crew. 
the entire month we shot, which was just magical, wonderful. Um, Means you're doing better than the Batman, so. <laughs> well, they have a lot more people. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they they kept, okay, so they, they cut a lot of the scenes to be outside. Um, I don't know, I don't think there was originally any, any intimacy, but if there was, they definitely cut that. Um, or maybe they didn't, I don't know. Yeah, so they, they tried to be very, 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 and I appreciated it. And it just gave us this, you know, this bubble to be free um, and to not worry about that. And, and just to be creative. Wonderful. Yeah, so shooting time's up in, in May in, in January. And uh, f- I think four or five of the same cast and one of the pro- two of the producers are are from, from On Location are on that movie as well. So I'm going into it already having best friends. <laughs> so it's going to be great. Um, and yeah, that one's, that one's, well, that one's going to be fun. It's, it's uh, very, very slashery, very, very bloody. Horror fans are going to like that. Yeah, I saw the, uh, the Indiegogo for it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I watched, I watched a little demo reel um, of the people getting murdered and what looked like in the theater or something of that nature. And I was like, okay, this is cool. This is fun. I, I dig the vibe. Like, this will be yeah, fun. Yeah, just for fun too like they're not using any of that yeah that's nice now the next question is a bit more hypothetical um are there any projects that you would love to be involved with just pie in the sky what's what would be an ideal project for you to be involved with either as an actress or writing and directing with it well i really love period pieces especially highly stylized ones i i would love to play Anne Boleyn, or now that i'm a little bit older i'd like to play phaedra but for, you know for the classics but maybe perhaps make it a bit more modern. Right. These are two characters I've always wanted to play. Um, I say um too much. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, but mostly I just want to work with my friends. <laughs> I just want to hire my friends and make art. <laughs> that's all i really wanted as long as it involves them it's a good time right it's yeah it doesn't even matter if 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 it doesn't turn out exactly great or the my cup of tea as long as like i remember it fondly that's all (laughs) that's that's a good mindset to have a lot of people are just concerned about the quality not the experience uh, which obviously does matter but people will will often get very bitter (laughs) if the quality is not good (laughs) well all my projects well i mean not my movies well, my, the one I, I directed, quality is amazing. Um, but, you know, you don't have any, as an actor, you don't have any control over that except your own, you know, what you do. You don't, you don't even really have um, control over the way you look a lot of the time. So you have to let that go. Yeah. I know for me, the moment that I learned that, have you ever seen the movie Caligula? I have. Okay, so Malcolm McDowell, Helen Mirren, uh, I think, uh, I forget who, Peter O'Toole, I think they're all in it. And Gore Vidal wrote the screenplay. And it was supposed to be this like very realistic depiction of, you know, of Caligula's empire. And they were going to do like historically accurate lighting and everything. And weirdly, the producer, one of the producers of it was the president of Penthouse Magazine. That was part of like the way that they got the financing because it was such an elaborate thing. And then you have like Helen Mirren, Michael McDowell, Peter O'Toole. They thought they were making a real movie. The producer went behind their back and shot explicit scenes. So when they're in the theater watching it, there's all the stuff they're like, this is not the movie that we read for. This isn't the movie that we shot. And I think that was the moment when I realized like you shouldn't hold the final product product against uh, the actor actresses like there's a lot that they don't have control of you know you got to just let it slide for them yeah yeah i think maybe um you know like the mega stars that executive produce their own projects probably have more control and maybe you know people in my situation um might have a little more control just because you know if i'm playing the lead then it's obviously ultra low budget indie and i you know should be able to be like please don't use that or, or whatever but in between yeah no no control almost and uh i i've been in a, a situation very similar to that where i was shooting this tv show in romania i show up on set and and there's a there's a scene that was written in that wasn't in the original script and it didn't make any sense yeah so it was a it was a love scene which i i'd signed the nudity writer but um but it wasn't in the script so why would i was for it. I was like, what are you talking about? Why would my character have an intimate scene right now that just literally makes no sense? And you know, it was like, it was like one of those moments where, oh, this is going to be seedier than I thought. And it was, it was. <laughs> but 
learned we learned our lessons um yeah that's it, it's good that that you you were able to i'm assuming stay safe during it and you had your say ultimately on it right yeah we actually organized it, it happened to a lot of the act in that shoot and um we organized afterward and we were just like okay this was not what was promised so we're renegotiating and you have to cut it down and do this and do that and it has to be prime time and stuff like that so that's good. Um, i'm not gonna say what show it was but um <laughs> You know, to wrap everything up, I think I'm going to ask you the most important question possible. What's your favorite dinosaur? Okay, yeah. What is my... Okay, so I, I want one that I can ride, mm -hmm. like a horse, one that doesn't eat me. And um, I think... I, I remember reading about this um, this whale, and I think it was... well dinosaur whale yeah. that was um they called like something like leviathan melvelli or something like that where it was, like it was like a gigantic looking sperm whale but with like like you know dinosaur looking terrifying teeth and i thought i think that one might, might be my favorite that's a good answer honestly like like i learned a new dinosaur today so i fully <laughs> support this you might want to google it because i might have gotten the name wrong but it was like they named it after melville and yeah. Leviathan, obviously, yeah. So. Honestly, you said it with enough confidence. I'm not going to question it, and no one else should either. <laughs> okay. I manifest. Yeah, that's good. If it doesn't exist, it, it does now. So, hey, again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do this. This has been an absolute delight for us. We're very excited about On Location and Time's Up. We're going to keep our eyes out for it. And if you ever want to come back, we'll be more than happy to have you on the show. And you just... Be a part of the show and discuss a movie with us. Oh, sure. I'd love to. Yeah, that'd be great. Wonderful. All right. Well, yeah, it was a pleasure working with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And everyone, if you'll just stay tuned, we're going to go ahead and finish up our discussion of our movies today. So stay tuned. Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking with us after that interview. Man, that was a treat. Ever since I saw VHS, I loved the character of Lily. I loved that segment. So to be able to have that conversation with uh, Hannah Fearman was absolutely amazing. It's, it's a true highlight of my year. So we'll go ahead. We'll jump into the next segment, which is for the standalone movie about her character, Lily, called Siren. Now, Siren was actually recommended to me by one of my best friends who loved VHS 1 and 2. We pretend like VHS 3 doesn't exist. And he said, hey, you're going to like it. And he recommends a lot of movies to me. And a lot of times I just don't have time to get around to them. I try my best to check out any of the suggestions he sends to me. But this one, I was like, I don't know. I, I, I'm not really feeling it. I don't really want to see it. And he's like, no, no, it's really good. It's it's based on the character from VHS. I watched it that night. <laughs> I wasted no time getting to it. And I was really pleased. I wasn't sure what to expect. I, I, I have this bad habit of when someone recommends something to me, I assume immediately it's not going to be good. I think part of that is is <laughs> from high school, uh, so many friends uh, recommending their own bands to me and they are hot garbage. And then I also know there's been a number of times where I've recommended something that I've done and it was hot garbage as well. So uh, a lot of it's my own fault. <laughs> But uh, I watched it, and I was really pleasantly surprised. It's done in a completely different format. It's not a found footage film. It is set up more like a traditional horror film, you know, conventionally shot. Um, it's really interesting because it actually helps expand upon the world for Lily. Now, it's not necessarily the same world that VHS is in. Maybe it is. I'm not really sure. It doesn't really touch on the uh, VHS world uh, at all, but there are definitely some weird oogity-boogity things going on just out of eyesight for the normal person. It opens up with these guys deciding to go to a party. They go to a couple strip clubs for a bachelor uh, for a bachelor party. They're not great, and they get invited to go to this new one. It's this wild place. It's unlike anything they've ever seen, and they pull up to this very plantation-looking house. They get inside. They're greeted by the proprietor, who is this larger-than-life character. Really interesting uh, character. Wonderfully played. So over the rate, and the guys start experiencing what there is to see. One guy offers his soul. I think they all offer their soul, actually, uh, to the guy in exchange for a wild night. Uh, different things happen to them, and finally our main guy is taken somewhere special. And that special place is to Lily. Now, he sees her, he hears her singing. Like this, you know, 
very lovely song, which is kind of haunting and mesmerizing for him. And he sees her and he pretty much falls in love with her. Like she, she causes things to happen to him, you know, that are unexpected by her singing to him. He is overcome with joy and he is just enamored with her fully and completely. It's at this point when he realizes like she's, she's trapped in here. She, she's held prisoner here and he wants to get her out. And she takes a liking to him as well, similar to VHS's Amateur Night segment. And they start kind of working together. Uh, He's trying to save her, but also he is terrified of her once he realizes what she truly is. She's trying to be with him and also get rid of the evil proprietor of this wild and exotic club. You know, we see the movie open up with him trying and successfully capturing her at this, uh, looks like an abandoned church. A lot of people die before he's finally able to subdue her with, uh, I believe it's a spell. It's a spell and a, a special collar uh, shackle that he has. And that's what he has her chained up with uh, throughout the entirety of the movie until he our hero is able to save her. They go on a bit of a wild adventure while she is being very Lily and just destroying people left and right. The great thing about Lily, I think, and we touched on it in the interview, is that she doesn't seem malicious. She is not actively trying to terrify people. She is not actively trying to kill people unless she has a reason. There's always a a motivating factor for her. You know, yes, she was sympathetic in VHS. For me, that happened, you know, on the first watching, but it definitely grew over time. With Siren, she is almost immediately sympathetic. You know, she is captured at the beginning of the movie. She's imprisoned. She is trying to get her freedom. You know, she is clearly frightened to some degree, but She is frightened and super powerful, which makes her a very interesting combination. And you're genuinely rooting for her, more so than you are the the guys who are trying to save her or their friend, which I think is a really interesting choice. Because oftentimes, the horror movies will try to get you more involved in the character, and you're like, oh, I want to know the backstory. As we talked about before, I 99% of the time do not care about the backstory for a horror villain. I just want them to be evil. I want them to kill. And really, like, they don't really dive into her backstory. It's just that Hannah Fearman's performance is so good that, and I think it's partially uh, her 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 big anime eyes. They are so expressive, and her face is so articulate at being able to express fear, concern, sympathy, joy, that you really buy into her. The entire time. I I don't know if any other actress would have been able to pull this off. As we talked about in the interview, you know, a lot of the decisions to make her more sympathetic were uh, part of her process for acting. And it genuinely worked. You know, I I didn't have to be given a, a whole backstory. She's the last of her kind. She's been captured. She's, you know, being harvested or whatever. Like none of that stuff. Like, you know, uh, when she was a child, she fell in a well and was bitten by a succubus. Like no, nothing like that. I don't need that. I don't need it. They don't do it. It's great. It works really, really well. And I think that that is one of the coolest things about Siren and VHS is that they give you enough to be like, yep, I'm in. And then they just let the performances of the actors really carry the momentum and your emotional and mental hook for the movie. Uh, Unfortunately, there's not as much to talk about Siren without getting too spoilery, which I know I spoiled VHS quite heavily. You know, so Siren being a longer film a lot of it would just be like, here was this scene and this scene. It, it's really fun. It's a lot of fun. If you enjoyed VHS, if you enjoyed Amateur Night, watch Siren. Hannah does a killer performance. Uh, the ending, I think, was absolutely great. Uh, I was a little worried about how it was going to go, but Lily wins at the end uh, completely, fully and completely. Lily is the winner across this. And I think it's very intriguing. I do like the idea, as Hannah mentioned, of maybe more of this world being explored. You know, maybe more of that exciting club, or maybe even a little bit more of the world of the succubus. Maybe there's more Lily. Maybe there are more people like her in different parts of the world. You know, maybe there's a whole group of them. You know, who knows? Maybe there's something that you could do with it. You know, obviously there are talented filmmakers who were able to make 
a standalone film, compelling. It's very quick, very, very well-paced movie. I don't think it lags really at any point. You know, there are obviously a little bit of moments to give you a little bit of a breather, then it ratchets up the action again, the drama, the stakes. Really well done, I think. Really, really surprised with how enjoyable it was ultimately. And so... I would strongly recommend it. I know it was on Netflix for a while. Again, it's probably going to be rentable on Amazon as everything is because I don't believe Siren was a Netflix exclusive. I don't think it was. I think it was just a a movie streaming on there. Obviously, take the time, find it. If you enjoyed VHS, check it out. I, I think you will get a lot more out of it than the average person. I think even if you didn't see VHS, I think it would still be an enjoyable movie for the most part for for you. You know, it is a solid standalone movie. It doesn't really tie in to VHS. I think just if you have the history of VHS, it makes it a little bit more enjoyable for you. So I think that is a great aspect of the film. And I think it really helps make it uh, a little bit more fun and enjoyable. And so I would strongly recommend it. VHS though, I I consider a must-buy movie. It is one of my favorite horror movies. You know, there's such variety in all the horrors that happen in it that you would probably find at least one of the segments scary. There, there's at least one segment between in each of them that you would find scary because they play on different fears. You know, definitely if you watch both VHSs, you will be frightened by one thing. Something something will 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 get you. You know, I know for me, um, the 1031-98 segment, the last segment in the first VHS, really got me. Really, really, really got me. I thought it was super creepy. I loved the ending. It did a great job of ratcheting up the tension and the fear as you went along. It was very drip fed and then just explosive. It was wonderful. Uh, Amateur Night as well with Hannah. Wonderful. I didn't necessarily find it scary. I find it. I found it very compelling. I really like the character of Lily and I like the concept behind it as well. I like the extreme supernatural element of it as opposed to just ghosts or, you know, demons or things of that nature. I liked the the extra heightened element of the supernatural in it. But then again, that's that's something that I like in general. But you yeah, know, I would strongly recommend both of the movies. I hope that you were able to take time out of your day to find them. Again, VHS 1 and 2, two of my favorite horror movies of all time. I bought them as soon as they were released. Siren, I haven't bought yet. I probably will especially after speaking um, with Hannah Fierman. I feel like I have to now. (laughs) She was so kind to us and gave us so much of her time, which was great, especially since she was had a, a very small window between projects and has so many more projects in the works right now. So thank you so much um, for your time, Hannah. And then also thank you so much for sticking with us today. We're going to take a quick little break and we'll go ahead and wrap up the episode. Stay tuned. Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking with us. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up the episode. There's not a whole bunch that we're able to really summarize today, other than that we had that amazing interview with Chairman. Uh, ho- hopefully we'll have her back on the show. We may do what we did with Eric, where it's not necessarily an interview with her per se, but it's more of just finding some movies that she likes and that we like and comparing and contrasting them. You know, maybe do something uh, a bit new for us. Maybe maybe we'll do a Western. Who knows? You know, maybe we'll do a horror film or, you know, not. (laughs) Something completely unexpected uh, for her. You know, uh, she mentioned that she loves period pieces. And so we may play with that as well. We have options. And if she has time for us again, we would love to have her back on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Again, as always, whenever Will's not here, there's always such a void. So he will be back on the next episode. And that's probably going to be entirely collective focus. There are so many matches, so many events, so many things that happened during the trip. And then I know that Will's going to want to summarize some more events for the G1 uh, climax, as well as some of the pay-per-views that are coming up. I believe Hell in the Cell is next Sunday, so it'll be after our record date, I believe. It might be before. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I can't remember if it's the weekend of the 23rd or if it's this weekend. Either way, we'll try and get it up 
um, whenever that comes up. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll play with that one as well. And then I know there will be other news in the wrestling world that I have no idea even existed um, because Will does, because Will's great at it. So again, everyone, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully you had fun with just me. We look forward to Will coming back next week. Until then, have a good day. Mm -hmm.